0: Hello, and welcome back to The Indy, the podcast from the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent. I'm Molly McEnany, the host of The Indie, and this week we're doing something a little different. In light of the recent Orange County oil spill, which started sometime around the 1st of this October, I asked myself, how do oil spills happen? Or even further, why does offshore drilling still happen, considering the frequency at which oil platforms malfunction? Oil spills are an ongoing tragedy, as biologists and environmentalists have examined and studied how oil contamination destroys entire ecosystems and food chains. Five years after the Deepwater Horizon disaster, a 2015 study from the Air and Water Management Association found high concentrations of benzene and fine particulate matter around southeast Louisiana that was continuously exposing people to measurable health risks. A 2019 study from the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America even proved oil spills increase newborn and infant mortality rates by 38.3% for communities nearby oil spills. Oftentimes, it takes a catastrophe for people to take notice of oil drilling in their communities, because crude oil extraction projects are proposed and passed right under our noses on the local level. On September 29th, Santa Barbara Planning Commission held a meeting, which according to the director's report and listed amongst a series of other agenda items, had the purpose of hearing the details of ExxonMobil's final environmental impact report regarding their recent proposal to begin an offshore drilling project. According to the report, ExxonMobil Production Company, a division of ExxonMobil Corporation, is proposing to restart offshore oil production at three Santa Ynez unit facilities and initiate a trucking pipeline of crude oil along Highway 101 and 166. ExxonMobil is requesting to reopen the Santa Ynez units, which have been shut down ever since a leak from an onshore pipeline in May of 2015. When this oil pipeline ruptured, 143,000 gallons of oil traveled south through Santa Barbara onto Refugio State Beach and El Capitan, all the way down to Manhattan Beach. This caused beaches to not only close for months, but become covered in oil damaging the rocky landscape, kelp forests, killing 204 birds living in the wetlands there, and 106 marine mammals. As of now, the Santa Barbara Planning Commission voted 3-2 against the proposal, pushing the project through to another hearing on November 3rd, and granting more time for the planning and development staff to prepare findings for denial. Further outrage from environmentalist groups in Santa Barbara over this initiative comes in part because of the recent October oil spill in Orange County, as I mentioned earlier, which leaked 126,000 gallons of crude oil, which has quickly moved south towards local marshes and wetlands, as well as the toxin-sensitive coves near Laguna Beach. Given Santa Barbara's history with offshore drilling, this project sparks memories of the 1969 oil spill, which spewed 4 million gallons of crude oil, creating a 35-mile-long slick along the California coast and killing thousands of wildlife and marine animals. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration began tracking oil spills ever since this incident, which was so catastrophic it in part sparked the creation of a nationally recognized Earth Day on April 22nd. To this day, the 1969 Santa Barbara oil spill ranks as the third largest oil disaster in U.S. history. In the decades following the spill, clean water initiatives were put in place locally and nationally, strengthening environmental protection agencies and the Clean Air Act. But just over 50 years later, Santa Barbara is faced yet again with the threat of reopening offshore oil processing and production operations, which produce 300,000 metric tons of greenhouse gas a year. According to this, there's no way that ExxonMobil could be held to the clean air metric standards that were set in the 1980s. In fact, it would go against all the progress Santa Barbara County has made. In 2019, 50 years after the disastrous Santa Barbara oil spill and for the first time in 40 years, the Air Pollution Control District recorded not one federal ozone violation. A huge leap from the 90s when Santa Barbara County averaged 100 violations a month. Now back to the environmental impact report and what's being considered by the Santa Barbara Planning Commission. Jacqueline Ibarra, the Santa Barbara County project planner, presented the impact report to the committee confirming that trucking oil would allow time for Exxon to build a new pipeline within the next seven years. Each oil truck would transport 160 barrels of crude oil a day, or 6,720 gallons. Exxon confirmed that 70 trucks would be trucking oil back and forth on Highway 101 and 166 daily. Although there's no project alternative if this initiative is denied, Plains Pipeline LLC has opened a separate project proposing a replacement pipeline for oil transportation from the same three offshore platforms. To get a better understanding of the impact, significance, and the probability of this project getting approved, I spoke with Julie Teal Simmons, Senior Attorney for the Center for Biological Diversity, about ExxonMobil's proposed project. So at the Planning Commission meeting on September 29th, Jacqueline Ibarra, the project planner for Exxon's proposal, stated that there would be significant impacts on the environment. Can you tell me a bit more about the report?
1: I think you should call her Exxon's planner because she's actually the planner for the county of Santa Barbara. So there are times when county and city staff sound like they're actually working for these companies because I think historically in California, and elsewhere, they literally were seen as on staff to help facilitate development. And I used to work for the city attorney in San Diego, and that department was called the Development Services Department. So they were oftentimes even called the client. So interestingly enough, she is staff for the county of Santa Barbara for the planning department, for the, for the planning commission. So their job was to evaluate the environmental impacts of this project, present that to the planning commission and explain which of the environmental impacts how you know how they were mitigated and if there were some impacts that were so significant and unmitigable they say so that the county in effect would have to approve the project despite not being able to mitigate the environmental impacts below a level of significance that's the terminology so the trucking proposal even if you don't look at restarting the offshore platforms or the onshore facilities, which they refuse to do. They only looked at the impacts of loading the oil on trucks and trucking up to 70 trucks per day along Highway 101 and and Highway 166. So even if you only looked at those impacts, there are still, of course, a lot of environmental impacts to air quality, to traffic. If there's an oil spill, obviously that would affect waterways and species and habitat. And the one impact that Ms. Savara acknowledged would not be able to be mitigated was that risk of oil spill, and that would have impacts on water resources, potentially on uh, threatened and endangered species, and on cultural resources around the trucking route. So they acknowledged that there was no way to totally avoid that catastrophic risk of spill. And so in order to approve a project, if you acknowledge that you can't mitigate those impacts below a level of significance, the county would have had to make what are called overriding considerations so that you're willing to take on those risks or those impacts because a project has benefits that the county really values, for example, um, they often couch that in terms of jobs or tax benefits that kind of thing.
0: Now, regarding this trucking pipeline, California suffers hundreds of oil truck incidents every year, and especially on Highway 166, which is one of the highways included in this project, and the same highway when in March of 2020, a tanker truck crashed and spilled 4,500 gallons of oil into the Kiyama River. So according to the report, is 70 trucks transporting oil a day even remotely safe for highway users and the surrounding region?
1: The arguments are that the risks are low, but when you do risk benefit analysis, sometimes the impacts of that risk, if you had a spill, are so catastrophic and damaging that you just don't take those risks. And that's what our argument was, that even if it's uh, unlikely to happen, it's not going to happen on a daily basis or even a weekly basis just one spill could have such devastating impacts that you just shouldn't be taking those risks, especially when you're taking those risks just to allow a company like Exxon to restart aging oil platforms in Santa Barbara Channel that really should be decommissioned and shut down. So that was really the argument that a lot of groups and individuals were making was that you don't need to take this step. You don't have to approve this project and no, it's not safe. So why why would you ever approve this when you don't have to. It's a discretionary approval, and there's no need to rush this restart. You know, oil is not supposed to be transported by truck in California. We have laws on the books at the state and county level that say, if you're going to transport oil, you have to do it by pipeline. Um, Not that we love that method of transport either, but it is deemed a safer way to transport oil for exactly the reasons laid out in the staff reports that trucking on Windy highways with lots of different drivers is just not safe and there's too much room for error human error and bad weather and nighttime conditions and just too many unknowns and risks so the rational thing to just say no and we're so glad that at least on a preliminary level the commissioners three to two indicated that that's the way they're going and that's the right decision for sure because like you said, staff said last last time they looked at this, 166 is just too dangerous. So absolutely no to that. And you should transport it all via Highway 101 along the Gaviota coast. Now we find out that that option will not be available for much longer because they're going to be shutting down the refinery in Santa Maria. And so now the only option to get that oil via trucks to market is 166. So suddenly it's not quite a total flip-flop, but it is a little bit, you know, how did you say that 166 was too dangerous last time around and now you're saying, oh, go for it. It's fine. And I think what that indicates is that county planning departments tend to try to allow counties to approve things and they try to find the way to thread that needle. But in this case it's just too risky and shouldn't be shouldn't be happening. Given Santa Barbara's
0: history with oil and oil disasters, what is the push for reopening these platforms and beginning trucking until a new pipeline is created? What's this renewed interest in offshore drilling on the Gaviota Coast?
1: I think it's oil companies just having a hard time loosening their grip on California. But in so many ways, California is trying to be a leader in the transition to clean energy and green energy. And I think it comes as a big surprise when you see how entrenched the oil interests are in our legislation and our decision-making and how much of a default green light they got over the years. And I think companies like Exxon probably, A, don't want to spend the money and do it right in terms of what it takes to decommission the platforms, and B, they don't want to give up on their industry. And I think potentially like letting go of the platforms, they don't want to have it give momentum to this transition that is happening with or without them. We're making this transition. So um, I think they're, you know, who knows what's in their minds, but it's not that much oil. So it is surprising how much they've dug their heels in to restarting when it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for such a multinational company and and how much they're probably getting out of those declining reserves and why they're just so gung-ho to get these restarted. But I think it's just to not lose their grip. And they're feeling their grip slipping. And that's, you know, it should slip and we should be transitioning away and really decommissioning all these aging offshore platforms. They've already outlived themselves. They always estimated that they would be up and running for like 35 to 40 years. And they're they're, you know, they're from the late 70s, early 80s. So it's their time has come and gone. And it's just time to acknowledge that and move on. And I think that's the way that state and federal legislators are moving.
0: Definitely. And you think about how much Santa Barbara has shifted to green and renewable energy since the 70s and 80s. It would almost be working backwards, in a sense, Mm -hmm. to do this now. So what does the Center for Biological Diversity have to say in their case against this proposal? I know you put out a press release in collaboration with a bunch of other environmental orgs in Santa Barbara. But what was the foundation of the argument pushing for the rejection of this project?
1: I mean, looking just at this trucking proposal, we try to just tell them even on the basis of just trucking, it makes no sense. It's seven years at most, supposedly, even though they could have extended it. It's dangerous. It's incredibly scenic highways in California. It's just not worth the risk. It's a risk to public health, to public safety, not to mention wildlife and waterways. But also, we really had an issue with the fact that they refused. They put blinders on and said, we are not looking at the restart of taking the oil from offshore and piping it to onshore and then the trucking and then the burning and consumption. And we think that the law absolutely required them to look at the full impacts of the entire scope of the project. Of course, your trucking proposal is enabling the restart of these facilities offshore. That would never have happened without you saying yes to trucking and to not look at just like you said the air emissions the greenhouse gas emissions the risks of those pipelines leaking the you know all of it was very short-sighted and i think legally flawed and so we made those points as well but the county had really really just wanted to look just at trucking only trucking even though and they said things you know on and on about um how they thought Exxon could restart its offshore platforms any day so they don't need to look at that. They already have those permits, but it's like, why are we at this planning commission hearing? If Exxon could have restarted yesterday, would we be here? No, we're here because they actually do need your approval, which you do not have to give. And so to say that they could restart any day, I thought was a fiction that they were holding on to, but I am confident eventually they would have lost that argument.
0: So what is next for the board? How does this process work? How many levels are there? to making this a final decision. I know there is a second hearing coming up on November 3rd.
1: Yeah. And just, just to make clear the November 3rd. So that's when the commission will come back together and formally vote. So they voted to deny and that uh, recommend denial, I should say. So on November 3rd, I'm hoping it's five zero and we get those other two commissioners after the spill that we've now seen to just say, this is crazy. No, we're not doing this. So they will then send their recommendation to the board of supervisors. So there's another layer of approval. Um, The board of supervisors will have the final say on whether Exxon gets their permit to truck oil or not. I think it's a really good sign if the commission comes out against it and hopefully the board will adopt that recommendation.
0: I think the, I guess, current event aspect of this story is the recent Oil spill in Orange County. But thinking about how that's a reaction to something that had already been going on locally, how can community members be more active in advocating for cleaner, renewable energy sources and safety from offshore and onshore drilling companies?
1: I think you're right, though. The spill sometimes is that wake up call. And it's really sad that it takes a catastrophe to open our eyes. But of course, everyone's really busy. And as long as things are going seemingly well on the surface, you know, you want to trust your government regulators and even companies and others to do the right thing. And unfortunately, a lot of things fall by the wayside, whether it's inspections not happening or enforcement not happening or self regulation and reporting is not ha- happening so i think a spill is like oh you know wake up call to everybody and i think everyone who lives in santa barbara county and around california still can't believe that we're producing oil offshore and that we're producing it from these decades old platforms and that these things can fall apart and just corrode and have spills or even if it's an anchorage issue if it ends up being that a ship dropped an anchor it that really you know, opened up people's eyes to how much cargo shipping there is off the coast of California. And you see an aerial shot of all those ships just waiting to come to port. And it kind of wakes up your eyes about our entire society right now and how we're really just like spiraling toward climate catastrophe and an extinction crisis that the likes of which humans have never seen. And I think we really need to reevaluate how we're living our lives and what we prioritize. And I think California's always said the right things about what a coastal economy it is in terms of like how much tourism and recreation, how much of a part that plays in our lives and also the economy. And I think that's another reason we really need to protect California resources from this aging industry, because if we have more spills like this, which are going to be more and more likely with the infrastructure aging every day, that it could be really catastrophic. And at least in the Gulf, you know, some of the huge storms that are getting worse with climate change, and there's a lot more infrastructure there. I think last I checked, there were 1,800 platforms, which is mind boggling. But imagine, you know, increasing storm severity and how does that infrastructure hold up against it when it was built decades ago? So I think we really need to use this bill to be proactive, to demand more of our decision makers to take part in our communities. Like, even if it's writing a letter on a piece of paper and sending it in, I know the commissioners were really, really compelled by the number of comments they got. I think it was nine to one in opposition and they rattled off all the towns and cities where they got letters from. So every letter really does make a difference and they like to see letters from different constituencies and individuals and just landowners who are worried about trucks going by their schools or their properties and the pipeline's the same way. It's going to have to pass through many, many different private properties as well. So I think any way you can get involved matters and the choices we make matter. And I think if you're, for example, at UCSB the EAB there is very active, or if you can sign up for the Environmental Defense Center or the Center for Biological Diversity, we have action alerts all the time. And sometimes it's just as easy as clicking to add your support to opposition of this project or other projects. So there's some really easy ways to get involved that, you know, acknowledging that everyone's very, very busy, but I think we all care about our environment and we're not going to have a future if we don't demand that this transition happen now and that we don't approve dirty and dangerous projects like Exxon's proposal.
0: Well, and with new environmental reports coming out, what feels like every day now, it's becoming less and less easy to refrain from interacting and taking part in local legislation that has to do with the environment and climate change. Well, are there any closing thoughts that you'd like to share about this project and the hearings at the commission? I know this is far from over and done with.
1: Yeah. So another, I guess, silver lining, if there is one, when you have an oil spill is that there is a lot of talk now at the state and federal level about legislation to phase out offshore drilling. And I think that would be a really good move. And I know the state senator from from the Huntington Beach area Has issued a press release announcing that he is interested in introducing legislation to do just that. And I know a lot of the federal representatives as well have chimed in that it's time to hasten this transition. So I think that's a really, again, another way to honor the devastation. And that sounds strange, but not to just go back to business as usual and to forget about this when other things start to take over the headlines and to actually create change in response to this catastrophe. And so that's what we'll be working on. And then I also just urge people to go outside and enjoy the beautiful surroundings that you were all you know, blessed to be able to access. And the more people get out there and enjoy it, the more they care about it and the more they'll wanna protect it. And it's good for us too, to get out from behind our desks. So get out there and enjoy your beautiful state.
0: Thanks so much, Julie. Thanks for having me. Once again, I'm Molly McNanny, host of the Indie Stay tuned for part two of this series as well as next week's episode.